Um, we do want to celebrate moms. And uh, look at your first verse in your notes. It says, may your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave birth be joyful. We hope that you are joyful today. We hope that you can celebrate this day. We hope that you are celebrated by the people that love you. Uh, look at the next verse in Proverbs 1.8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. A few of the things your mother may have taught you. I need you to play along. You're going to fill in the blank at the end. You may have learned from your mother, do not run with scissors. This is like real time. He's still getting this lecture right now. That was quick on his lips. If everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you join them? Who's your mom? Don't play with sticks because you could... Poke an eye out. I'll treat you like an adult when you start acting like one. Story of your life. You made your bed and now you have to lie in it. You better uh, hold hands when you cross the street. If you fall off from there and break your leg, don't come crying to me, you big baby. Don't talk with your mouth full. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So you have learned well from mom, and, uh, and that's a good thing. But seriously, we do, we do learn so much from moms and our women in our life. Um, do you realize that God doesn't have a gender that we need male and female and all different kinds of people to get an expression of who God is. And all you women, whether you're a mom yet or not, whether that has been part of your story or not, you, you demonstrate to us part of who God is that we wouldn't otherwise see without you. And so we are grateful. Now, I know because my wife Hillary, uh, three, four years ago, lost her mom to pancreatic cancer, And then for the next three years, we were unable to get pregnant, just strange, mysterious infertility issues. Uh, And those were really difficult years, especially on days like this. So I know that for some of you, there is pain around that. And and we, we love you and we have compassion for you in this. Um, And I want to just pray specifically for, for you, but for every female in here this morning. So if you are a woman, would you just please stand? If you are a woman or consider yourself a girl, please, (laughs) please just stand. And then guys, if you are, you know, just wherever you're closest to, just put your, hold a hand, put a hand on the back, reach a hand in a direction. Uh, We just want to pray for these women uh, in our life. So, and then women, if you just want to put your hands out and just receive this, this blessing from God. God, we are grateful for your children, these beautiful women that you have created in your image. We are thankful. It's an honor to celebrate them today. We want to honor them. We are grateful that they express a part of you that would otherwise go unexpressed. And we, we are so grateful for what they teach us and show us and how they love us. We are grateful for their hard work. We ask that you would continue to bless their efforts, give them strength. We pray for confidence as they nurture and support and love. 
And we pray specifically, God, for younger girls who will be moms one day, that you would guard them and protect them and keep them close to you. We pray for single moms, that you would give them strength and encouragement today. We pray for adoptive moms, that you would bless them for their generosity. We pray for moms of blended homes, that you would give them peace and wisdom. We pray for moms of kids with special needs, that that your love would just pour out through them. We pray for moms with children who have wandered off and strayed from you. We pray that you would give them strength and peace and patience. We pray for those who have not yet been able to be a mom and struggle with infertility, that you would help them to trust you in your larger plan. God, we pray for all the moms in our life and, and those who have lost their mom. And we just pray that your presence would be felt today, that they would feel appreciated, that they would feel loved and known and honored by the men in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can sit down. I am uh, I'm so grateful for my wife after, after three or four years of trying to get pregnant and now have, this is her first Mother's Day and her birthday. And, and she's here and serving and it's so great. We are so grateful. She has just, like the minute that child was put on her chest, it was just like instant, I'm a mom. I can do this. It was painful in a way not having her mom here to journey with her through that. But, you know, she, she has been fantastic, and I'm so grateful to her. Gentlemen, do whatever you have to do. Make sure that the women in your life feel honored today, whether they are moms or not. Uh, We need them, and we are so grateful for them. We are continuing in this series on uh, talking about this idea of Christian, and we've been talking about how the the word Christian has lost its meaning in our culture, and even, even in the very beginning of time, it wasn't even a word that Jesus used. It wasn't on his radar. He was looking to make disciples. He was looking for followers. And so we've been talking for several weeks about how if we if we just kind of like raise the banner of Christian and and it, it, it you know it involves how we vote or our bumper stickers or things like that, then we're missing out on what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Because that's what he talks about all through the New Testament. He is looking for followers. And that's a scary thing because because it's, you know, to follow Jesus is to be like Jesus and to, and to follow him in this and to live the way he lived is not an easy thing. But it's an invitation to all of us. And he would say that none of us are incapable and none of us are too far gone and no one has done too much bad stuff and no one is, is beyond the point of hope or no one sins too much. You are welcome. He wants you to come and follow him. And that's what we've been talking about. And, and he even told us that really what he is interested in is not your voting record, not even your church attendance, not how many gold stars you have by your name, but he's interested in how well we love. Look at John 13 one more time. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, if you want to know how to love, look how I love. I am setting you the example For how to love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, some of you moms, you might want to be known for being a great mom. Some of you might want to be known for being a great business person. Some of you gentlemen might want to be known for your rugged good looks, you know? 
or women for your sense of humor. Whatever it is that you want to be known for, those things are great and valuable. But ultimately, what Jesus says is collectively and individually too, as we follow him, we will be known by others because of our love. That is how we will be recognizable to the world. Not for the things that we are against as followers of Jesus, but for how we love other people. That is the standard that he set. That was what he came and taught. Now, Jesus loved, when you look at him, and he says, love as I love. And so you look at him, and you watch how he loved. And if you look at the New Testament, it's, it's kind of confusing at times. And it's kind of messy. Because he loves really, really liberally over here in this one way, and then there's another time, another place, where he seems like he's holding people to a really high standard, and that might feel unfair. There's a story, you know, there's stories where he's just so generous and compassionate and mercy, and right next to it, he calls somebody out. There's, there's a confusion. There's, there's seemingly, even sometimes you might say, that's, there's an unfairness to that. How come he's so much like this here, and then so much like this over here? And some of you come from families or from traditions or backgrounds that skewed in one direction or another. You come from a, from a tradition that's very maybe strict or even legalistic or judgmental. Others of you come from a, a different place that's just very kind of whatever, laissez-faire, just kind of whatever happens, happens. Everyone's a mess, you know, we're good. And so you will find yourself kind of skewing in one direction or another. You will have a natural tendency to one side or the other. And if you don't wrestle with the tension of both, you'll be missing out. If you are someone who goes this direction and not this direction, you are missing part of what it means to love as Jesus loved. And it's complicated because even in Jesus' own life, it was confusing at times. And people were watching, trying to figure out, man, he's, he is crazy generous with love. And then he calls out some religious person. And so we, we have that tension and we want to, we are drawn toward more the religious. The longer you're kind of a, a church person, you're drawn more and more into this religious tendencies because religion wants things black and white, crystal clear, fitting in the boundaries. I know what's wrong and what's right, and that makes me feel comfortable because this is how I live, and I'm really disciplined, so I want things to measure up and make sense to me. And then you look at Jesus' life, and it's not like that. So generous with his love. And then sometimes calling out people that you would think, oh, that, but that's a good person. Right. So there's this tension that we live in. Jesus talks about how he came and embodied this tension in John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. If you're looking at your outline and have a pen, underline that last part. Full of grace and truth. I have a tendency just to go toward the truth part, right? Because I know a lot about the Bible and I can talk and I can make you feel bad about stuff because there's stuff that you don't even know about. And I can say, well, this is how it is and this is how it is and you could, this is the standard that you should live up to. But when I think about my own life, I want to go more toward the grace side of things, Right? And that's how, that's how it is for a lot of us. And so Jesus says, but I came to embody both. I came to show you the both and and how those things can be married and play out. 
Jonathan, let's activate the, uh, the technology little magic pad here. There we go. So we have a, like a spectrum here. You got grace on one side, truth on the other side. The extreme form of the truth would be like extreme legalism, right? And the other side of the spectrum would be like total tolerance. Everything goes, everybody's fine. Every, you know, everyone sins anyway, don't worry about it, with paying no attention to the reality of right and wrong and truth. And you'll find yourself, and you look around, you have a tendency, I have a tendency, and we have come from different backgrounds and churches that have this kind of, that have this tension back and forth. And so we, we wrestle with that, and we try to figure out where, where do we land. And the reality is that you are, that, that Jesus would say, find the both. That it's not an either or, it's not a one or the other, it is both. Truth is, you need to be accountable. There is a certain standard to me. Grace is, don't worry about it, everyone's screwed up. Truth is, look, you, you're falling out, and we, we got to work, you know, there's a, grace is, everybody plays, everybody's welcome, right? And it's not one or the other or a little bit of both. It's the fullness of both, Jesus says. And so you go back and look at your, look at your outline he goes on, and he says, out of this fullness, in verse 16, we all receive grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses, and grace came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given, circle the word given, because it was given by God through this man, Moses. You know, the Charlton Heston deal, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, so there's, there's the Big Ten, right? But there's like 600 more laws that the Jewish people tried to live by. It was impossible. The law was not good news. It was actually bad news because it exposed the fact that no one could live right and be perfect. And so the law was given through Moses to expose that reality, but grace and truth came embodied. The word actually means like born through Jesus. He embodied the reality of both. And there's a tension there because of how the experiences that we've had, because of how we live, because of I'm more logical or I think this way or I'm really disciplined so I have these high standards. And, and there's this tension that Jesus invites us to live in because it's grace and it's truth and it's the fullness of them and he is the picture of it. Not too long ago, there was a couple that came and they asked me to do their wedding. And I, I, they've been coming to our church for several months. I had met them, but I didn't know them very well. So we sat down and we were meeting. And they said, hey, we've been coming to the church for a while and uh, we, we love it, we're in, and we'd love for you to do our wedding. And I said, great, let's talk about that. And they go, well, we just want you to know right up front that we were going to another church, not, for, you know, in the area. And we told this guy, we, told, we met with the pastor and we said, hey, we'd like you to marry us. But it came out in the conversation that uh, we are in fact living together. And so he said that he wouldn't marry us. And so we're coming we're coming and seeing, yeah, we just want you to tell you right up front that we are living together, how you feel about it. And so there I am, imagine yourself in this moment, and you have an opportunity. There is grace and there is truth. Obviously, another pastor, and I'm not trying to compare or point fingers at another church, but there's another pastor that just, he is on this side of the spectrum, and he says, you know what, no, the way you're behaving is wrong, and there's a standard, and there's an expectation, and so I'm not going to affirm that by marrying you. And then there's the other side of the equation that says, hey, everything is fine, 
you know, this is a, the, the, sin is sin and, and we're good. Just let's, let's do this, right? But what does it look like to embody both grace and truth? And I'm sure I did not do it perfectly, but I felt led in that moment to say, look, I love you guys. I'm glad you're part of this community. You're newer on your journey to faith. This is awesome. I'm in this with you. Now, do you understand why the Bible teaches to kind of protect marriage and that you want to be faithful to one person? Why, why do you think that the, the Bible would teach that? And so they were playing with me, and they gave me some answers. And they said, well, you know, self-control, I think, maybe is something to do with that. And I said, sure, because you're going to need self-control even after you get married because there's still going to be some temptations and other things, right? You need, we need self-control. And they said, well... Um, I mean, our love is from God, and so I know we want to honor God. And so I said, yeah, 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 you want to honor God and, and recognize that his love is from, or your love is from him anyway, and so we, we want to honor God in this moment. That's right, that's right. And so they're saying, yeah, yeah, we get that. And I said, here's the deal. You just know that's what the Bible says. Now it's between you, each other, and God, how you're going to respond in these next couple of months. And I'm not going to ask you again. That's between you and God. And I would love to marry you. Grace and truth. And there's a tension there, isn't there? You can even feel the tension in the room as some of you wrestle with this dynamic. There is a tension there. Because to say, to say no, 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 I, I mean, there's a, there's a right and there's a wrong and you're not living right and I'm not going to have anything to do with that is only going to perpetuate more wrong behavior. And it's only going to push them away from this community where they can learn more and more to walk with Jesus. Why would I do that? But to just say, oh, yeah, 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 everything's good. Every, yeah, you know, whatever. Every, yeah. It's also probably irresponsible. We would, they said both and. That, that sin is no worse than my sin. It's no worse than your sin. It's not the worst. There's no sin scale. We're all in this together. But it's a both and tension that we have to continually wrestle with. And Jesus embodies that. He sets us the example. Remember the story of the um, Samaritan woman at the well? So Jesus is with his disciples, and they're, it's, it's been a long day already, and they've been walking a while, and he stops by a well, and the disciples all go into the city because they want to get some food, and they're going to come back to him. Who knows why he wanted to just stay? He likes some time alone sometimes, so he, he sits down. And this woman comes, and it's about noon. The Bible says it's noon, and she comes by herself. Now, in that day, women would come, and they would get water from the well in the morning together. It was like a social community deal, like when women go to the bathroom together, which I don't understand, but <laughs> there's like a communal aspect to it. And so they would come, and they would do that in the morning, and it was social, and it was fun, and they would have a good time. This woman wasn't coming in the morning. She was coming in the middle of the day because she didn't fit in in the morning. It was one of those, like, if you're a kid on a bus, they'd be like, seats taken kind of a deal. Like, they didn't want to deal with this woman because she had been married five times, and now she was living with a dude who was not her husband. Jesus pulls that out of her story in a few minutes into this conversation. But we know that, that even in that day, even as a Samaritan who was kind of like a, it was a half-breed, not fully Jewish, intermarried, totally looked down on by the Jews. Even the Samaritans knew, that's not good. 
This, this woman has man issues. And they, they kind of wrote her off. She was an outsider. They, they thought, we, they, we don't even walk to the well with that woman. So there she is in the heat of the day by herself. And she's having this conversation with Jesus. And he asks for water. And she says, well, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't even talk to me. I'm a Samaritan woman. And he goes, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is that you should be asking me for water because the water I have is living water. And they go back and forth. And, and then she ends, he ends up saying, you know, I, I see, I know that you've been married five times. And the man that you are with now is not your husband. And so immediately, if, if we're there, we're like, dang, no, no, no. Didn't you take any lessons, like in seminary, about tactfulness? Uh, you're like going, you're 10 minutes into this convo, and you're like going right at her deepest wound and pain and exposing her worst, like, brokenness and the thing that she's ashamed of and the reason why she's here all by herself? Dang, that's rough. Why would you? And then he says, I have water that will satisfy you to the degree that no man ever can. And then she becomes the first person, the first human being that he tells that he's the Messiah. He says, I am the Messiah, the one that has been prophesied, the one that has been promised would come. She's the first person. She is the first person to be offered that living water. Despite that she's rejected by even her crazy party friends in her Samaritan village. She's an outsider even to them. She's, she's gone too far even for them. And Jesus says, not too far for me. Some, some mysterious tension of grace and truth. And then there's a story of the two thieves hanging on the cross next to Jesus, right? These are not, you might have heard like if you grew up with the flannel graphs, like, like thieves, and you thought, like, the guy who punked me for my lunch money, it's worse than that. To crucify people, these are like the worst of the worst sinners in that day. So these are not guys who just stole a little bit. These are guys that could not be trusted in society and needed to be eliminated. They couldn't have been trusted to be slaves chained while they work. They were that bad. They couldn't have been trusted just in the mines, they were, they were the worst of the worst, crucified on either side of Jesus. One of them recognizes what's happening here, sees something in this Jesus that he would die an innocent man and says, I deserve this punishment, but you don't. And you would think that Jesus, full of grace and compassion, might be like, no, 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 no. It's okay, dude. It's okay. We're all messed up. He doesn't. He's like, no argument there. You, you've lived crazy. You have hurt a lot of people. You know, he just lets that be. And then, because the man understands his sin and understands who Jesus is, in the very next breath, he turns to him and says, but today, you'll be with me in paradise. You, like the worst, gnarliest guy in prison that you can probably imagine, you will be with me in paradise. Grace. Not even like, it's not a conditional thing either. It's not just because I know where you're going to be for the next 20 minutes before you suffocate and you can't go any do anything else worse, right? It's just like clean slate. You will be with me in paradise. Now imagine how just months later he had been hanging out with this guy, the rich young ruler, who had come up to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything you have and come follow me. 
The guy, had, he, the guy had been living right. He had been trying, not perfectly. He kind of exaggerated when he said he'd been keeping all the commandments. But he'd been trying to live well. He was a good guy. He probably did some good things. He probably gave to charity. But somehow Jesus perceived something in his soul that money was his God. He wouldn't sell what he had to come follow him. And he went away unhappy while crazy mega thief guy is in heaven. There's a tension there's something, there's something messy about this grace and truth thing and the way Jesus loved. And then there's a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. So, there, I mean, there was like a trap set for this lady. And they were spying and doing whatever they did in the low-tech days, but they saw the thing happening and literally snatched her out of bed with this guy Who knows what happened to the guy, but they brought her to the feet of Jesus, threw her in the dirt at his feet, and everyone started picking up stones. Because the law was, the standard was, that if you committed adultery, you could be stoned. And so they come to Jesus and say, this woman was caught, and there's no, like, tampering with the video evidence. Like, we saw her caught in the act of adultery. And here she is naked on the dirt at his feet. And they're picking up their stones, ready, ready to get, you know, And Jesus gets down in the dirt and he starts drawing something. Who knows what he was drawing? If he was like sketching out the the accuser's names, maybe with some like bullets of their sins just from the week. Who knows what he's he's doing? But one thing he's doing is drawing the attention off of the woman and onto himself. And then he stands up and he says, okay, tell you what. Go ahead. Whichever of you is without sin, throw the first stone. And then he goes back down and he starts doodling again in the dirt. And then the woman, he says, so where are, where are those, do they condemn you? And the woman says, no, no, one, no one's left. And Jesus leans down and he says, neither do I condemn you. And go and leave your life of sin. I do not condemn you. Your sin is no worse than anyone else's but go and stop doing it because it's wrecking your life. Grace and truth. Jesus was the literal embodiment of the both and. And if you or I try to get tired of wrestling in that tension and we just want things to be clean and neat and tidy because we just, we just want to love everybody or we just want to just have grace on everybody. Or just, we don't want to like have a sin talk or if we're the kind of person that just wants to point things out and pick things apart because we hold ourselves to a higher standard, so certainly they should too. If you skew one way or the other and you just want things to be neat and tidy and you just own, you're going to miss something important. You're going to miss part of who Jesus is, how he loves, because he is the embodiment of both. And he invites us to wrestle with that tension. And if it's not a tension for you, then you're probably settling in one way or the other, and you're missing out on the heart of God. And maybe some of you have not even experienced enough of God's grace, and that's why you're a truth person. Or maybe you're settling for not living life to the full because you don't understand the principles of Jesus and you're not following his lead and the Spirit's lead in your life because you're just like, ah, everyone's screwed up. It's okay if I just, you know, nurture this addiction or whatever it is. I just, whatever. It's the both. 
for both. Jesus is the only, is the only way to have what we, to have enough to embody who he invites us to be, to be people known by love in our community. That is his way to love. God, I pray for us that you would illuminate your truth, your grace. Give us the courage to live in that tension. Help us not to run away from it. Help us not to back down from those situations as they come. Help us to experience your grace just ourselves, that we can be so grateful for how well you love us, that we extend that mysterious tension of grace and truth in its full to those around us. In Jesus' name.